I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Songs and Stories podcast. Or welcome back, I should probably say, after a few weeks without an episode. To pick up where I left off, it's back to some of the messages I got through social media and email about songs people would like to hear about. And this one was probably one of the songs high up on the list and the concept that the podcast initially came to me. So episode 22 is the Monto. So Monto, or Take Her Up to Monto, is a folk song written by George Desmond Hodnett in 1958 and popularised mainly by the Dubliners several years later. The Monto was the nickname for the one-time red light district in the northeast of Dublin's inner city. The Monto was roughly the area that was bounded by what's now known as Talbot Street, Amien Street, Gardiner Street, Sean McDermott Street and what was formerly Gloucester Street in what would now be called Summer Hill. The name comes from Montgomery Street, which is now Foley Street, which runs parallel to the lower end of Talbot Street towards what's now Connolly Station. Montgomery Street is believed to have been named after Elizabeth Montgomery, who was married to Luke Gardner, the first Viscount of Mount Joy. At its peak in its heyday, roughly from the 1860s all the way through to the 1950s, there were anything up to 1,600 prostitutes working there at any one time, with all classes of customers catered for. Dublin at that time had a reputation for having the biggest red light district in Europe and its profits were aided by the enormous number of British army garrisons in the city, notably the Royal Barracks which later became Collins Barracks and is now one of the locations of the National Museum of Ireland. According to legend, King Edward VII of England lost his virginity in the Monto while still the Prince of Wales. Later, in the 1880s, the Prince, accompanied by his wife Princess Alexandra, and their son Albert, the Duke of Clarence, strolled unrecognised through the area, having slipped away from their bodyguards and walked through Dublin. In Kevin Kern's oral history collection, Dublin Tenement Life, he comments that many of the prostitutes in the Monto were unwed mothers who had been disowned by both their families and by their babies' fathers. Although middle-class Dubliners viewed these women as whores, the impoverished but devoutly Catholic residents of the Monto tenements referred to the local prostitutes as unfortunate girls and understood that they often had turned to prostitution as a last resort. According to Cairns, by all accounts, the girls were typically young, attractive and known for their generosity, especially to the slum children. In an interview with Cairns, Mary Corbley, who grew up in a tenement on Corporation Street during the 1920s, recalled, I don't feel any shame in coming from the Monto, but the reputation was there because of the girls. 
we never heard the word whores or never heard prostitute. Very rarely you'd hear of a brothel. It was a kip and the madams we called them kip keepers. But the girls were very good. They were generous. They were very fond of the kids. And if you went for a message for them, you'd get truppence or a sixpence. If they seen a kid running around in their bare feet, they'd bring him into Brett's and buy them a pair of runners or shoes. The girls were generous. Billy Dunleavy, who grew up in the Monto before, during and after the Irish War of Independence, later recalled, it was a hard life for them girls. They were really all country girls that got into trouble and that's where they finished up. An unwed girl with a baby, she was in trouble, from farmer's sons. There was a convent around there and they were put up there for 12 months with the nuns. They had a hard time, scrubbing floors and everything else with the nuns standing over them. Oh, the country girls got a hell of a time of it. That's why all the girls were on the town, as we called it. That's where they finished up. The madams had them dressed up in good new clothes, and that was the attraction. Kern said that the madams, several of them became legendary figures in Dublin folklore, and were Dublin women. They were tough, shrewd businesswomen who ruled the roost in a strict maternal manner. They clothed the girls, housed them, and took a high percentage of their earnings. Many of the kip houses also illegally sold drink, which made it easier to part a man from his money. Several madams became quite wealthy, wore expensive jewels, owned cars, and even sent their children off to prestigious schools abroad. Some were possessive of their girls, even to the point of keeping them virtually housebound for periods. However, Billy Dunleavy said, but when they got the money off the men and didn't give it up to the madams, they took the clothes back off them, they'd stripped them, take all the clothes off them and put them back up to the rooms in the houses. They had a bad occupation, but they were very, very decent and very kind, them girls. You wouldn't hear them coursing, and they might even give a boy a penny or a tuppence to buy sweets. Respectable girls. The wives around here would even say hello to them and be friendly enough. But we had a hospital here then, called The Lock, over here on Town's Entry. And you know what they used to do with the girls, with sexual diseases? They used to smother them, when they had syphilis and all incurable they used to be smothered see there was no such thing as pills at the time they couldn't cure them so smothered them to take them out of the pain or give them some kind of needle they were so far gone and at that time there was no cure the hospital was built for that purpose that's right they wouldn't do them all just the odd one but they'd be nearly dead before they'd do it in another interview with Cairns Johnny Campbell who had been a legendary Monto brawler in his youth now there was also mobs fighting against one another animal gangs. There were four gangs that used to fight one another. Stafford Street, Ash Street, Sheriff Street and here, the Monto. Most of the animal gangs were dockers, nearly all of them. The dockers were the toughest men in Dublin. Ah, they were, because they were going through the mill themselves, with the big guns of coal and everything, and, oh my god, they could put away maybe 20 points, the coal dust and all. Now there could be a big melee on a Saturday night near Paddy Clare's or Jack Maher's pubs. There could be 20 men fighting. They'd have razor blades and iron bars, knuckle dusters and flick knives and the hooks off the bales for the dock work. And you might see a fella taking off his belt and start swinging it. Like Macaulay. He was a ringleader in the Monto and he got his eyes taken out by a fella named Brown who hit him with a belt, took his eyes out and Brown got 9 months. Also according to Billy Dunleavy, the kip houses were ordinary houses, but you'd see the men going in and out and in and out. Men had come with big cars and all, big shots. Businessmen, British soldiers, officers in the army, 
British generals, big shots. It was safe enough. Men wouldn't stay all night, but some of the girls had robbed them. They'd get them drunk, take their trousers away, and take his money. And the kip houses had bouncers, horse bullies we'd call them. And if a man didn't give up his money, he'd get a hiding. Not surprisingly, the Monto was also a major hive of the IRA activity during the Irish War of Independence. Billy Dunleavy further recalls, The IRA were the best men we ever had at the time. The tans used to go around in the tenders with a wire over the top, and if it was going up by Talbot Street, they, the IRA, would say, get out of the way, quick, and they'd throw a hand grenade over into the car. Now Phil Shanahan, he owned a pub over there on the corner. He was a great man, and he used to hide them after they'd been out on a job. He had cellars, and all the IRA men used to go there and hide their stuff, but nobody knew who an IRA man was. Oh no, you wouldn't know who an IRA man was around here at that time. They were all very secret. They had to be that way. Your neighbour could be an IRA man. On a Saturday morning, this big fella, he used to give information. He was an informer against the IRA, and two men came around that morning and riddled him in the public house. Riddled him with bullets. The IRA killed him, but they were good men, and they wouldn't kill any innocent people. Following the Anglo-Irish Treaty, December 1921, the establishment of the Irish Free State, and the withdrawal of the British Army garrison from Dublin, the financial viability of the Kip Houses were severely damaged. Between 1923 and 1925, Frank Duff of the Legion of Mary and Father Devan launched a campaign to close down the Kip Houses and clean up the Monto. They received the cooperation of the Commissioner of the Dublin Metropolitan Police, General Murphy. The campaign ended with 120 arrests and announced the closure of all brothels following a DMP raid on the 12th of March 1925. However, Kip houses continued to exist in the Monto, long after the 1925 raid. This was enabled by both corrupt politicians and members of Angarda Síochána well into the 1950s. Billy Dunleavy said that the guards knew what was going on, but they couldn't do anything. But if the Kip houses were selling bottles of stout, the guards would get the bottles and break them up. See, there were manholes out there where the water goes down, and they, the Kip owners, put the bottles of stout down the manhole when the police had be coming. Now your bottle of stout at that time was only around 8 pence, but if a man brought a girl to Becky Cooper's kip, they'd be charged about a pound for that bottle. The police knew where the porter would be hid, and they'd raid and take them up and break them. These kip houses included the Cozy Kitchen on North King Street, and Café Continental on Bolton Street, both of which were run by legendary Dublin Madam Dolly Fawcett, and remained open, enabled by corruption of Angarda Síochána well into the 1950s. According to Northside resident Noel Hughes, who knew Dolly Fawcett in her 70s, the cosy kitchen was located in the basement of a tenement house at number 2 North King Street and was run by Dolly's son Stephen Fawcett until it closed down in 1957. Dolly's other son ran the Café Continental on Bolton Street. According to retired guard Paddy Casey, the Café Continental was located next to the Bolton Street Technical School. Hughes then recalled, the girls would be around the place at the counter and a man would start chatting them up. They were mostly country girls up from the country, from 17 into their 30s. They weren't high class prostitutes or anything like that, they were just ordinary commoners. I suppose they charged about £2. They'd bring the blokes off to a flat or take them around to a laneway or around the back, somewhere like that. The whole neighbourhood knew of this, the whole of Dublin knew about it because the sailors of the ships used to go there an awful lot. Men. 
They'd come from all over the docks, and all over. It was mostly all outsiders, because the men in the tenements didn't have any money. Hughes also said that the police raided a couple of times, but they got backhands. Oh, there were backhands going on all the time, paying policemen off. And there was a bit of an argument a couple of times about closing it down, but nothing ever materialised of it. And then it eventually closed up, and the Fossets went off to England. So as the folk legend goes, the area certainly did appear to host all kinds of clientele, and for different purposes, from sailors to soldiers, and royalty to republicans, and pretty much everything in between. So there's probably more to the song, made famous by Ronnie Drew, or Lou Kelly and the Dubliners, than you initially thought. Many think the popular Dublin ballad, The Monto, comes from the late 19th century or in around that time, due to the historical references sprinkled in the song. But it's only about 60 odd years old, and was written in retrospect. George Desmond Hodnett was born in Dublin on the 25th of February 1918, and penned the famous Monto ballad around 1958. Hodnett, who was known to friends as Hoddy, and was the son of a Swiss lady and a Free State Army colonel. Hodnett entered Trinity College to study law. His father's people were a well-established legal family from Cork, and it was presumed that this was a natural progression for the young Hoddy. But his love of music tempted his law studies, and he would go on to become a familiar fixture in the Dublin music scene. Hodnett became a music reviewer for the Irish Times, and took the role of resident pianist in theatres across Dublin, including the Pike Theatre, where he composed many satirical songs. Hodnett fell in love with the bohemian scene which flourished in Dublin in the 1940s, and it was a social scene that included the likes of Brendan Bean and Paddy Kavanagh. In 1958, Hodnett composed a satirical street ballad about Dublin's most famous red light district, the Monto. The area around Montgomery Street, as mentioned now called Foley Street, was once one of Europe's most infamous red light district. Because it was located near the docks and in a garrison city, it meant that a lot of those British uniform kept businesses flowing in the Monto. Ironically, the Monto was also a haven of IRA safe houses during the War of Independence. One of those was Phil Shanahan's pub, which hosted the likes of Dan Breen and Michael Collins. In the 1920s, when the British soldiers and sailors left Dublin, Frank Duffy and the Legion of Mary, as I just mentioned, went into the Monto and cleaned it up, thus ending its bad reputation. Or good reputation, depending on what way you look at it. Hodnett's ballad about the Monto gained widespread popularity in 1966 when Ronnie Drew first sang it on stage at the Gate Theatre and from then on the Dubliners included the body ballad in every live performance. The ballad is littered with many references to people and places of 19th century Dublin and it also includes local lingo, for example a wingo was a slang for a penny while ringo was a slang for ring's end. The Forty Glen is an area in Phoenix Park where courting couples used to frequent, while Bookshop Foster, who lost his mutt, his girlfriend, there, was a much despised British politician called William Edward Foster, and he whistled for a growler. It was a horse-drawn carriage that he was whistling for. Ballad also pokes fun at the Dublin Fusiliers who were being sent to war by Vicky, Queen Victoria. Dewitt refers to Boer rebel leader Christian Dewitt, as the ballad points out, would make cannon fodder of the Dublin Fusiliers. The informer James Carey is also mentioned in the ballad. He informed on the Fenian Invincible Society in exchange for a new life across the ocean. But, as we find out in the ballad, a Fenian called Patrick O'Donnell caught him on the boat. Skin the Goat is also mentioned in this verse. He was James Fitzharris, who was one of those that Carey informed on. 
The verse which tells us how the Tsar of Russia and the King of Prussia landed in the Phoenix Park in a hot air balloon refers to an event that, as you can imagine, didn't actually happen. The last verse refers to the visit of Queen Victoria to Dublin in 1900, which did happen, and in a comical manner, her visit to the Monto in the company of the Lord Mayor. This part didn't happen. George Desmond Hodnett died in 1990, but his ballad about the Monto keeps alive the memory of a legendary part of Dublin's social history. Although I just touched on and mentioned one or two of these, the song is full of words and phrases that don't have much meaning today, or particularly wouldn't have much meaning for those people outside of Dublin. So a wingo, as I just mentioned, was a penny. Wing was an old Irish slang for a penny. It got its name as the old coin had a hen and a flock of chickens on it. And Ringo is just short for Ring's End, which is an area on the south side of Dublin Sea. He took his mott and lost her up to Forty Glen. Mott is still used today and is Dublin slang for girlfriend. Interestingly and ironically, it's also Old English for prostitute, according to the Oxford Dictionary. The Forty Glen is a section of the Phoenix Park. It's the end by the Castlenock Gates. A langaroo is a deviation of langer, or a lazy individual. When Carey told on Skindigo, referring to the Republican James Carey, an informer remembered for the Phoenix Park murders, Carey himself was later murdered by Patrick O'Donnell, who is referenced in the next line. Skindigo is a nickname for James Fitzgerald, a Wexford man who was a member of the Invincibles responsible for the Phoenix Park sabotage. But many popular versions of the song sometimes omit this verse for some reason. The rest of the songs will pretty much involve history lessons around these events, with slang references to the Queen Victoria as Vicky and the Dublin Fusiliers, who were an Irish regiment of the British Army. Monto was also twice mentioned in the Irish folk song Waxy's Dargle. It's referred to repeatedly as well in Pete St. John's song Johnny McGorry, also popularised by the Dubliners. The Monto, Frank Duff and the Legion of Mary are also mentioned in the Peter Yates song Honour Bright, the story of the 1925 murder of a prostitute named Lizzie O'Neill, who used the pseudonym Honour Bright. The song is sung at the top of Act 2 of The Ferryman by Jez Butterworth as the Carney boys come in from the harvest. Although brought into the mainstream spotlight by Ronnie Drew, the Monto became a favourite in the repertoire of Luke Kelly, and it's said that this was because the Monto had a bit of a performance element to it, particularly in the verse imitating the Queen. So to end episode 22 of the Songs and Stories podcast, here's the motto by the Dubliners, introduced by Ronnie Drew and performed by Lou Kelly. Next song is a song about a place in Dublin which was situated behind the Pro-Cathedral in Dublin. And it was one time one of the most famous red light districts in Europe. The whole place has since been closed down by legions of Marys or something or other. Anyway, been closed down by one thing or another. And the whole area was cut across by a famous street called Montgomery Street. And the name of the street was shortened. And it was called the Monto. And this was the name given to the whole area. And the whole area was called the Monto, as this song which Duke will sing is called the Monto. Well, if you've got a wing, oh, take her up to ring, oh, where the waxy sing, oh, all the day. If you've had your fill of porter and you can't go any farther, give your man the order back to the quay. And take her up to Monto, 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 take her up to Monto, Langaroo, to you. You heard it, book 
shot faster, the dirty old bastard took his mutton laster up the four eagle end. He first put on his bowler, then he buttoned up his trousers and he whistled for a growler and he said, My man, take me up to Montel, 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 take me up to Montel, Niagara. You seen the double of fuselers, the dirty old bamboozlers, they went to get the children. One, two, three. Marching from the linen hall, there's one for every cannonball. Vicky's going to send you all o'er the sea. But first go up to Monto, Monto, Monto. First go up to Monto, Langaroo. When the Tsar of Russia and the King of Prussia landed in the Phoenix in the big balloon, they asked the Polish band to play the wedding of the green, but the boogers in the depot didn't know that you were. So they both went up to Monto, 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 both went up to Monto, Langaroo, to you. The queen, she came to call on us, she wanted to see all of us, and glad she didn't fall on us, she's in stone. <laughs> Mr. Me Lord Master, she is us all, you've got to shout at me. Why no man, there's some more to see. Hold my hold, and he took her up to Monzo, 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 took her up to Monzo, Langaroo. Dear old GTU, my dear.